What's happening? What's happening? Hello, my name is Brad Harden, and I'm the host of the brand new show here on the Hoop Ball Network, Hoop Ball Hawks, where we cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks, from box score breakdown, training camp, free agency, the rumor mill, you love John Collins, you love Ice Trey, you love JR Crickets, well, check us out, follow us at Hoop Ball Hawks on Twitter, follow myself at Brad Jarrett. Six, seven on Twitter, and we hope y'all check us out. Hey there, Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast listeners. There are tons of VPN providers out there. You've probably heard of a few of them, and some of you may have even used a VPN before. But I like to do research on my sponsors, and I only recommend brands to my listeners that I believe in. I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. Here's why. ExpressVPN doesn't log your data. Lots of really cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to ad companies. ExpressVPN developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for their service to log any of your info. Second is speed. I've tried lots of VPNs in the past. Many slow your connection down or make your device sluggish. I've been using ExpressVPN for the past three months and my internet speeds are blazing fast. Even when I connect to servers thousands of miles away, I can still stream HD quality videos with zero lag. The last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart from other VPNs is how easy it is to use. Unlike other VPNs, you do not have to input or program anything. You just fire up the app and click one button to connect. It's so easy, even your grandparents could do it. Full disclosure, I don't think my grandmother can do it. She can barely use the contacts function on her cell phone. Anyways, so protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. Use my link, expressvpn.com slash hoopball today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Visit expressvpn.com slash hoopball to learn more. Now, on with the show. The following is a hoopball presentation. What's up, Bulls fans, and welcome to the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast here on the Hoop Ball Network. My name is Greg Mraz, your host as always. Opening night for the Bulls is tomorrow night. Opening night for the NBA is tonight. We've got the Warriors kicking it off against the Brooklyn Nets, the first game of the NBA season from Brooklyn. That'll be going at about, oh, I don't even know what time that game starts. But we are brought to you by ExpressVPN. My bookie and Manscaped. So go check out all of our awesome sponsors. Coming up, we have an interview with Brad Harden of the Hoop Ball Atlanta Hawks podcast to preview the Bulls and the Hawks tomorrow night. I do want to talk, though, about the news that broke yesterday. Yesterday was the deadline to sign extensions for players drafted in the 2017 draft. If you don't sign a player to an extension in their fourth year, they become a restricted free agent which means that you have to match any offer sheet that they sign in order to keep them. So when another team signs your player to an offer sheet, if it is a restricted free agency situation, that means the only way you keep him is if you offer that type of contract. We saw Bogdan Bogdanovich sign an offer sheet with Atlanta, and the Kings did not match it. That was after the news that they couldn't complete the sign-and-trade from Sacramento to Milwaukee that would bring Bogdanovich to Milwaukee. 
I bring this up because there were some extensions. Markel Fultz got an extension. Luke Kennard got an extension with the Clippers after he was just acquired from the Pistons. Laurie Markkinen does not get an extension. So the Bulls are going to risk whatever his year might be and have him enter restricted free agency. I think Laurie Markkinen, from all of the reports that I read, the Bulls were offering somewhere around $11 million a year and Markkinen wanted 20 Okay, Laurie, bet on yourself. I don't think you're going to get $20 million a year on a restricted free agent deal. Bogdan Bogdanovich, who at this point is a much better player than you are, got $18 million a year. Laurie Markkinen is not worth $20 million a year, not at this point. I think giving him $11 million a year is a little bit generous. Laurie Markkinen's numbers are not the numbers that justify paying the guy whatever salary you want to pay him, almost knowing for sure that what he does this year is going to dictate what he ends up getting on the free agent market next year. And I am fine with that. I want to make it clear, I have no issues with the Bulls not extending Laurie Markkinen. I think he has to prove it to earn his money this upcoming offseason. If he is a part of the Bulls' future, you will find that out this year. If he is not a part of the Bulls' future, you will see him walk after this year. It's pretty simple. You need Laurie Markkinen in order to field a competitive team this year, but there is nothing that binds you to this player moving forward. He has to prove that he's a part of your franchise for the next five years. And right now, he has not proven that at all. We're going to take a quick break to hear from my bookie. But when we come back, Brad Harden of the Hoop Ball Atlanta Hawks podcast. Really excited to have him on our show. We're going to preview everything and maybe talk a little hip hop as well. Keep it locked here on the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast. We'll be right back. I hope you guys feasted up on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? No, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with MyBookie, where odds boosts, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are, we know what they are capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in these lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that get offered every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is MyBookie never closes its doors so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie, and when you do, use promo code HOOPBALL to get your deposit matched halfway, all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in the $200, they match you with another 100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. 
And we also have to talk about our friends over at Manscaped. Listen up, fellas, because today we have a new Manscaped product alert. Manscaped just released the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. Take a look in the mirror and I guarantee you'll see hair sticking out of those holes. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Weed Whacker. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, tugs, and all those delicate holes. The premium Manscaped Weed Whacker uses a 9,000 RPM motor powered with 360-degree rotary dual-blade systems. Its intelligently contoured design enhances the trimming experience and it is waterproof, which makes for an easy operation and cleaning experience. The only nose hair trimmer on the market with a powerful and rechargeable lithium-ion battery that lasts for up to 90 minutes of use. Have you ever pulled your nose hair out with your fingers? That might hurt worse than nicking your... Well, you know where I'm talking about. Manscaped is making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to, delivering maximum confidence while providing hygiene. Yes, you will get a replaceable blade every three months to keep your weed whacking time clean and enjoyable. Look, fellas, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. It's time to upgrade your Manscaped routine with the Weed Whacker. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. Thank you, Manscaped, for keeping our you-know-what's trimmed and hairs in our holes looking nice. Welcome back on in here to the HoopBall Chicago Bulls podcast. We are joined now by a guest that has joined us before. And it's appropriate that he joins us again. He is the host of the Hoopball Atlanta Hawks podcast. Here to preview Bulls-Hawks opening night from the United Center in Chicago, it is Brad Harden. Brad, great to have you back on the program again. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well, Greg. Thank you again for having me on. Uh, I know before it was all, you know, pleasantries because the season has not, you know, kicked off and there was no games being played. But now that the season is here, uh, we're at the doorstep of it right now, and it's Hawks, Bulls. We, we're going to be a little bit more adversaries at this point, but it'll be all fun. So I'm just really happy to be on the show with you today. Always good to have you on, my friend. And the last time we talked, it was Bulls and Hawks as two very similar franchises. And watching the preseason, it's pretty clear that both franchises have some clear bright spots. For the Bulls, the backcourt looks like it's emerging. Kobe White and Zach Levine look like they are really gelling well together. And Patrick Williams looks like he is going to be the guy that everybody thought that he would be when you draft him number four overall. For the Hawks, they've had some close preseason games, and then they've had some blowouts, mainly their blowout loss to the Grizzlies in the second preseason game of the year. So from your evaluation of the Hawks in the preseason, what's the biggest thing that you are looking forward to going into opening night, and what's your biggest concern? My biggest thing going forward is basically just continue to build continuity. Uh, if you look at you know, the rosters from last year compared to this year, going into the matchup versus, you know, the, with the Bulls and the Hawks on Wednesday, there's a lot of new faces on this Hawks roster. They still have their young core intact, but there's a lot of new faces they got to integrate with the addition of Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Chris Dunn, who obviously was a Chicago Bull, Rajon Rondo, Solomon Hill, Tony Snell, whenever he gets back, and obviously drafting Yeka Okongwu with many of those players out right now. It's just really trying to build a flow on both ends of the court, and it, and it shows that this is definitely a team that has not played in nine months, and to add you know, in, insult to injury, they have a whole bunch of new faces. So it's just really trying to integrate those pieces in and really trying to figure out their identity offensively and defensively and it just seems like one of the things that 
the defense for the starting lineup has struggled and they put us behind the eight ball in I say three of the four preseason games so far but when the second unit comes in it seems like in that second unit that's when the defense really kind of stabilizes things and it's funny it's the bench doing it it's players that are not known for defense it's the lineups with Collins and Gallinari that a lot of people had questions about who was going to protect the rim in that instance, having bogey and reddish on the floor. Uh, we know that reddish wants to get better on the defensive end and bogey's not known as a defender. He's more a facilitator, playmaker, shot maker, shot creator. So just a whole bunch of different dynamics, really trying to marriage them together. And I think it's going to be a process that through the first 10, 15, 20 games, we're going to have to work through. And this is going to be a good measuring stick game, obviously, as we talked about in the program before, that the Hawks went 0 for last year, 0 for 3 against the Chicago Bulls. And when I looked at the statistics, neither JC nor Ice Trey were played together in any of the games against the Bulls. So it would be very interesting to see if they can have a lot of their ducks in a row going into the United Center on Wednesday night. These are two teams that are relatively young, and they're two teams that have a lot of upside to them. And I think one of the biggest upsides when I look at the Atlanta Hawks is that they've added so many more options that are going to be secondary scorers behind Trey Young. I want to talk about Bogdan Bogdanovich first because he has made news not for what he has done, but the Milwaukee Bucks got fined a second-round draft pick for tampering with the Kings and trying to get Bogdanovich before free agency opened up. From what you've seen from him this preseason, is he A, what you believe the Hawks paid for in the, I think it was, what, four years, $72 million, and do you expect him to be that second option scorer behind Young, or do you feel like he's still going to have to fit in behind a Young, a Collins, and maybe a DeAndre Hunter at this point? Well, they've been playing with him in the lineup a little bit. I know that they've had a different two-guard in almost every game, whether it's Bogdanovich, whether it's Herter, whether it's Reddish. They're still trying to figure that out. But one thing that I've seen, even though his shot has been – he has struggled with his shot during preseason, I've really seen that no matter if we you know, have him coming off the bench or starting, he's going to make an impact. And if his shot's not going down, he's crashing the boards, giving him a second, third chance opportunities in this offense, which is very valuable for any team, offensive rebounding. If he's not crashing the boards and if he's more of the in the lineup where they make him the primary ball handler and, and the initiator of offense, he's going to get you assists. I know last game, even though he struggled with his shot, he had seven assists. The game before, he struggled with his shot. Wasn't but Rondo was on the court with them. He it was one game in the preseason. Rondo was available. He had about seven, eight rebounds. So basically, what I've seen from him, the money, I think it will come in due time. He has to continue to work with these with this team, figure out his spots, build continuity. I see potential two-man game with certain players on the team, like a Collins, like a Capella, like a Fernando, two-man game with him and Trey. Those things are gonna have to work itself out, and that's gonna take time. But what you're seeing is a guy that's going to do whatever it takes to win ball games and tries to make the right plays. And that is invaluable in my opinion. And it's just one of the things that they're trying to turn over a new leaf. When you add bogey and all these other pieces who are so on. So fat uh, veterans here in the NBA to really have stabilizing forces 
in the locker room with this young core to help them through like they like the other night they were down by 19 in the third quarter and, and responded down by 15 in the fourth and came back and won i think if you had with those veteran presences now on the team for the for the hawks and includes bogey they can make sure that hey you're not looking at the whole pie you're looking at piece by piece just like you can't overcome a 19-point lead in one fell swoop. You got to take it possession by possession. And that mindset, that mentality that is embedded already in these veterans who've been in the league is going to be very invaluable for this Hawks team. That's something I'm going to be looking for, uh, looking for going forward as they continue to build and mature and gel as a team this year. Overall, defensively last year, the Hawks were atrocious. I don't know exactly what the numbers were, but every time I looked, it seemed like they were giving up 120 points a game. They've ha- they've given up a couple of 120-plus point games in the preseason, but from what you've seen, is this a team that looks at least fundamentally, at least from possession to possession, better defensively than they have been? I think they're giving more effort on a defensive end. I think they, it's no secret that the numbers were bad defensively last year, and it's going to take buy-in. That's what Solomon Hill and some of these other veterans come in and said. you got to buy in on a defensive end, and it takes everybody, and I know that Trey Young last game, even though he struggled with his shot, one of the things that really impressed me was him giving effort on the defensive end. He had four steals. He was trying to jump in the passing lanes. He did foul out, so he was a little overaggressive. But just seeing Trey Young, your leader, your franchise player, trying to buy in on a defensive end, and it kind of trickles to the other players on the team. There's still some structural things that they have to continue to work in. Like like I said, it's a shortened preseason, shortened training camp. They got a new assistant coach. Nate McMillan, who was a defensive-minded coach, and it's going to take time to implement the system, figure out the strengths and weaknesses of each player uh, while they're on the team together. Like I said, they don't have a huge sample size to go off of. They're they're basically learning on the job with this team. So that's something that I look to see continually improve. It's been a struggle with the starters at time. Obviously, you're going against better talent. But once that bench comes in and the other team has their bench, that's when the defense normally stabilizes in my opinion and they and when they have deficits they can claw into the deficit a little bit more because they have a lot of offensive firepower off the bench and the great offense is turning into good defense too because they want to get the ball back and continue to score so i know that i I, on my previous episode they're going to talk about hey dude probably just have to outscore everybody and that might be the case but i think until everybody is there and, and they get done on the floor. They get on Congo on the floor. Rondo is constantly on the floor. Snell and these other pieces. We won't know what this defense will be until they have all their ducks in a row. So, But I've seen little signs of encouragement, but there's little things as far as effort, like closing out on shooters, going for loose balls that's been inconsistent. Those are things that I look to see clean up, and hopefully through film and then through veteran leadership and with the addition of Nate McMillan to this coaching staff. We are here with Brad Harden, host of the Hoopball Atlanta Hawks podcast, previewing Bulls and Hawks on Wednesday night. You're listening to this show on Tuesday morning. Yesterday was the deadline to grant extensions to players that were drafted in the 2017 draft, so current fourth-year players. Most standard first-round picks receive four-year rookie contracts. We talked about in our opening segment that the Bulls did not extend Laurie Markkinen. The Atlanta Hawks, in what I actually think is a very surprising move, did not extend John Collins. Now, John Collins is a guy that had trouble staying healthy last year. He only played in 41 games. But this is somebody that in his last two years in the association has averaged 19.5 points per game and 21.6 points per game. And Brad, 
I'm not telling you something you don't already know, but when he went out last year with injury, John Collins was averaging a double-double. Why did the Hawks not pull the trigger on him? And is this a result of them spending all the money that they did this offseason that they said, we don't have the type of money to pay what John Collins actually might be worth on the open market? Or is it more of, to add a third thing, are they concerned enough about his health to where they want to see him play this year before considering matching an offer sheet next offseason? I think you spoke a little bit to it as far as the money. We are tied up with a lot of money and $12 million of it will be off the books next year when Tony Snell's contract expires. So they'll have a little bit of money there. But as far as for Collins, you said it, injuries, the suspension last year, even though he's put up a lot of uh, big numbers in the small sample size, he hasn't given a complete body of work, in my opinion. He has grown leaps and bounds every year offensively, and that is great. But one of his deficiencies is on a defensive end, and I've talked about it on my podcast, that he still needs to learn how to defend without fouling. He is still kind of that tweener at the four when you have a lot of bigger fours now in the, in, in, the, in today's NBA who can stretch the floor as well. And for him, and they've been moving him to the five a little bit, but not a great rim protector. That rim protecting is still going to be an issue for John Collins. So I need to see him buy in on the defensive end a little bit more as much as he's bought into improving his offensive game. And I need to see a complete body of work. And I think that the Hawks need to see that as well. They love JC. The city of city of Atlanta loves John Collins. All fans, and I agree with them. We should We should have paid him. We should have paid him. But I was not surprised when they didn't. Because I feel like if they truly valued John Collins as far as what he thought he was worth, what he's gone on record saying he's owed and he thinks he's worth max contract money, I think they would have done it before they made all these moves this offseason. I think they would have done it last year. But I think the injuries, the suspension, not having a complete body of work, I think those things really played a role. And I think this is truly with all this talent around him to see Hey, we're supposed to be a playoff team. How does he fit in a playoff team? He's going to have to prove his worth and his value this year with a lot of pieces around him, with Gallo off the bench, with you draft Oyeka Okongwu, who can play the four or the five as well. Bruno Fernandes looked pretty decent in in preseason as well. He's going to have to prove it this year. And I think that's the same on the Bulls side with Markinen, with it's good in a small sample size, but you got to be available. You got to stay on the floor. And I think that maybe is one of those situations where both of these players know what they could be worth, but their body of but their body of work is not complete, so that the franchise is a little hesitant in giving them their money. Brad, you segue into something that I think is important, and you said in your answer about John Collins that this is a team that expects to be in the playoffs. It's very difficult to have expectations with a bunch of new players when your training camp was this short and your offseason was this short. So my question to you is, is there an expectation, at least an expectation by Travis Schlenk, who put this team together, and of Lloyd Pierce to make the playoffs this season? Is that the expectation amongst everybody in the Hawks community? I think when you look at the chain of command, when you talk about the only Tony Wrestler, the GM, Tony uh, Travis Schlank, uh, Lloyd Pierce at the head coach, all the players in the fan base, it's a collective everyone expects to be in the playoff this year. When you look at it on paper, this is a playoff roster, but 
like I've talked about on my program and some guests have talked about, this is not 2K. You can't just put players together and you're manually controlling all of them so it's going to work because you're controlling them. There's a lot of dynamics. There's a lot of continuity that has to be built, trust that needs to be built, buy-in that needs to take place so this all can gel together. But the collective thought process is that this is a playoff team. And going through, I said that they can realistically – I said anywhere seven and eight, it's more realistic. Six is their ceiling. And they're going to have to compete with the Bulls. They're going to have to compete with the Wizards. They're going to have to compete with the Magic. The The Hornets may have something to say about it if they can come together. There are some teams right outside the top seven in the Eastern Conference that are going to make it interesting and make it tough and be put in playing scenario situations to figure this all out. So as much as I have gone on record and said that I, and I personally even expect them to be in the playoffs, but it's not going to be easy. And these first 10 to 15 games against quote unquote, lesser competition, they're going to have to work through all these kinks on the fly because after the 20 game mark where they play the Washington wizards, it's going to be a grind. They have to play the Lakers, the Clippers, the 76ers, the Celtics a couple times, the Heat twice. They're going to pay some of the play some of the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. So they're going to have to kind of learn on the fly, like I said, and really try to put this piece pieces, beat the pieces together and kind of learn on the fly and learn each other on the fly. Is there concern that this will be a lost season for Onyeko Okongwu? And the only reason I say that is that he was hurt prior to the draft. He hasn't played at all, really, in the preseason. He's not going to play in the Hawks' first two regular season games. Do you find this concerning that the first guy that you drafted this year may not have any impact at all on the 2020-21 Atlanta Hawks? There's, there's, it's, there's some, you know, I'm not going to blame anybody who has concerns, but if you look at Cam Reddish, Cam Reddish had the same situation going into last year. He had an ailing shoulder which he had to work through, kind of learn on the fly. And it, as the season went on, he got healthier and healthier. And then his confidence grew and he got better and better and then ended the season playing very well. So I think that Oyeko Okongwu, being a big, is going to be a little bit harder. So the learning curve is a little bit steeper for a big. That gives me some concerns and we're going to need him. And I've said in my last episode, the front court is going to be key. Capella is dealing with a little Achilles right now and for the last week and a half or so that we're watching carefully. Bruno Fernando is there. Gallo is not really known as a rim protector, but he's in our front court. John Collins has some defensive deficiencies, and he has trouble staying on the floor because of foul trouble. So Onyeko Okongu coming back is really going to help, and we really need him to come back, but we have to ease him into it. So there is concerns on that front, but – with the depth that we have in place across the roster and the interchange, how we can, you know, do a whole bunch of different lineups, play small ball, play big, go heavy offensive, have a defensive lineup when the pieces are there and healthy, that kind of gives us a a chance to kind of ease him into it. But is he's going to have to, you know, sink or swim at some point because the front court, could be a weakness for this Hawks team if he is not full strength sooner rather than later. We're here with Brad Harden, host of the Hoop Ball Atlanta Hawks podcast 
Brad, I went through the Bulls' first half schedule when it was released, and I was giving my evaluations for where I thought the Bulls would be. I thought that they would be about five games under 500. I saw about 16 wins, 21 losses. When you look at the first half of the Atlanta Hawks' schedule, where do you see this team record-wise going into the second half of this schedule? Do you think that the Hawks have a chance to be close to 500? Do you think that they might be above 500? Or do you think they'll be nowhere close? I say close to 500. I say at 500 is where they should shoot for, especially because I project I projected going into the season that the Hawks – I know Vegas has them at 36.5 wins. I have them at 37 wins, and in a 72-game season, that's 37 and 35. So the closer you are to 500, I think it puts them on pace, especially if the back half of the schedule is a little more friendlier uh, than the first half of the schedule – then it could lend to, especially by the time, hopefully by then you're banking on them gelling and knowing each other and playing with more confidence and taking more leaps and strides to be a complete team. Then if they're closer to 500 through this first stretch, it makes things, it's never going to be easy winning a game as far whether it's college or the, or in the NBA winning games is hard. It's hard, but I think it makes it considerably easier if you can get that 500 mark, because you know historically in the East, 500, you're pretty much in the playoffs. And I don't think that will change this year, especially with the Eastern Conference getting even more competitive. I think 500 will get you there. So I think that's what they need to strive for in this first half and have a pretty good record. I say above 500 through the first 20 games. Go through that tough stretch where you play a lot of Western Conference teams. Try to stay at 500 and see what you can do on the back half of that schedule. Going into tomorrow night's game, one matchup that I really want to point out is Wendell Carter Jr. and his passing ability. Because the Bulls are going to try and be a more perimeter-oriented team, and they're shooting with a little bit more confidence from the perimeter. You got guys like Kobe White, Zach Levine, Laurie Markkinen, and even Wendell Carter Jr. himself that are going to be able to pick and pop. And Carter's done a really good job in the preseason of distributing the ball from the high post. It's very similar to what Andrew Bogut was for the pre-Kevin Durant Warriors. I think that there's a big matchup concern tomorrow between Carter and Hawks guys on the interior in terms of him kicking it out to the perimeter because the Hawks have been known at least in the last couple of years to be not great in terms of closing out on shooters. What's the big matchup problem that you see tomorrow, either on the Bulls' advantage to the Hawks' negative or the other way around? Me personally, I'm really interested to see what Lloyd Marketing does. Uh, if you looked at the numbers in all three of the matchups last year, Lloyd Marketing averaged 21.3 points against the Hawks last year and averaged about three three-pointers made. And you're absolutely right. Closing out on three-point shooters has been an issue for the Hawks, and I've seen that early in the preseason as well. The only times that they have had success in the defensive end is when they do close out shooters because one thing that's really surprised me is that they have been working to limit points in the paints against other teams, and that has been a positive for the Hawks. But they're going to have to close out the shooters, and the Bulls did shoot really good from three in all in two of the three matchups for sure last year that I saw when I looked at the numbers. So Laurie Markin is going to be key, and as well as Kobe White, who is continuing to grow in confidence. He's going to have the ball more in his hands. He averaged 18.3 points last year against the Hawks as a rookie. So going into year two, he's going to have more confidence. He knows that he's done well against his team in years past. So I think those are the two players that are really going to be key for the Hawks 
to kind of limit as far as for the Bulls. I know Bulls Bulls fans want to see them do well. So on the latter half, if they do well, if they have if they are close to these numbers that I said from last year, they should they they have a really good chance to win the game. But I know the thing the difference is with this Hawks team this year is more depth and more scoring outside of their the JCs and the ice trays this year that the Bulls are going to have to account for. So it should be a very interesting matchup, especially with the Bulls being in the top half of the league in defensive efficiency and defensive rating last year, but they did lose a big piece of that in Chris Dunn. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the Hawks defense really matches up with these young Bulls players that have had success for them against them in the past and then vice versa, how the Bulls defense will hold up against all the scoring potential that the Hawks have. They're still trying to put it together, so it could be slow out of the gates for the Hawks, but there's going to be two things that I'm looking very closely at tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, going into the game. Before we wrap it up here, got a couple more questions here for Brad Harden, host of the Hoop Ball Atlanta Hawks podcast on the Hoop Ball Network. Brad, the Bulls have actually been dealing with some COVID and injury issues Thad Young's lower leg infection has turned into, I couldn't remember exactly what it was called, but Thad Young has been out the entire preseason. He's had a lower leg infection. Denzel Valentine has had a left hamstring issue. He has not played all preseason. After playing in the first preseason game, Tomas Sadoransky, Devon Dodson, and others have been out due to close association with Garrett Temple, who even though the protocols say you're not actually allowed to say who tested positive, it was pretty clear that Garrett Temple tested positive for COVID. So the Bulls are going to be a little bit thin going into tomorrow night's game unless all those guys are cleared to go. Do the Hawks have any real injury issues at this point or COVID issues besides Onyeko Okongwu? Uh, no COVID issues that we've heard from thus far. I know as I mentioned Clint Capella with the a nagging Achilles issue that caused him to only play 15 minutes on a Saturday night, but he has played through it. I know Kevin Herter and Cam Reddish have both been battling ankle soreness, but they have played through that as well, uh, except for obviously Cam Reddish did not play in uh, preseason game number three against the Grizzlies. And then Rondo, they he's had some issues as well, and they've just been resting him, so I expect him to be able to go on Wednesday against Chicago, who he was a bull on that wonderful run where they almost upset the Boston Celtics and Bulls fans will be very, very fond of that memory. And they, and the NBA fans as well, that was almost huge. But other than that, Chris Dunn is expected to be out the first two games of the regular season on Yeko Kongu, as you mentioned, will be for out the first two games of the regular season. And Tony Snell is still a question mark as he is still another former bull. Um, yeah, another former bull. He is still in isolation and recovering from injury as well. Yeah, it's the former Bulls game. You've got Rondo, you've got Dunn, you've got Tony Snell, who a lot of Bulls fans really like to forget that he was a bull. But uh, Tony Snell, somebody that I still can't believe Milwaukee gave him the type of contract that they did. But I guess that's how they felt about him at the time. Final question here, or actually, I'm going to pull an audible. Final two questions. What is your prediction for tomorrow night's game? I've got the Bulls winning 125 to 120. I think Zach Levine and Kobe White have two very big nights. Laurie Markinen had a very solid final preseason game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
It was the only game in the preseason that he shot above 50%. He was 40% from beyond the three-point arc. But Laurie Markkinen really had a lackluster preseason. Other than that, Kobe White, Zach Levine, Patrick Williams, the three big stars of the preseason. And let me tell you this, Brad. Patrick Williams is going to start. That's my prediction. He did not start the first two games of the preseason. They flipped him and Otto Porter Jr. in terms of having Porter come off the bench and Williams start. And in Williams' third preseason game, he was spectacular. I think he was like a plus 21 when he was on the floor over like 27 minutes. But what is your prediction for tomorrow night's game? I know I got off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I'm excited about Patrick Williams, and I think he's going to play a big part of what happens tomorrow night. He has looked really good in the preseason, as well as, as you mentioned, Kobe White has looked good. Zach Levine is a walking bucket, so that is to be expected. And even though some of these players may not be available, I think the Bulls just have a little bit more continuity to this point with seven of their all seven of their top scorers being back this year, even with a new head coach at the helm. I, I think they have. Uh, both of the, this this game is very important for both the Bulls and both the Hawks, and I would not be surprised as you as you said the score one twenty five one twenty Bulls way. I would not be surprised if the Bulls did win this game as the Hawks are still trying to work out kinks. I'm really unsure how many minutes Capella is going to be playing as he did look visibly hobbled and slower on Saturday night dealing with the Achilles. And then Bruno Fernando did come in and play well, had to play 18 minutes compared to Capella's 15 minutes. But I am going to predict, as I am, you know, a, a, resp- a correspondent for the Hawks, I'm going to say that the Hawks pull this one out 121-117. I think Trey Young gets out of his shooting slump, and he really tries to get things going. I think Bogey off the bench will have a big impact. And I expect that the young trio, how I call the Magic City wings, the young wings of Atlanta in Reddish, Herder, and Hunter, I think they continue their hot ways. And as they're all three playing with a lot more confidence and playing very aggressive as they've been competing hard in practice, that's one of the things that is going to be different from this year, from last year to this year, is that I think they're going to compete harder night in and night out. And with the added veterans, I think they sneak this one out. And Gallinari has a big performance off the bench, and I think he puts up 21 points off the bench and hits about four three-pointers on Wednesday to really be the difference maker. That bench is going to be a difference against the Bulls. Yeah, I think depth is really the biggest advantage that the Hawks have at this point, veteran presence as well. It's going to be a fun game. It will be the opener for both teams, and both teams are going to be Raring to go. I know the Bulls are playing with a lot of confidence under Billy Donovan. High expectations for improvement in Atlanta. So this is going to be a really fun way to start the season. Two teams that are on very similar trajectories. I wanted to finish up with this, Brad, and this is not a basketball question. This is not even a sports question. So I cover the Bulls, but I am from the San Francisco Bay Area. I was so jazzed up on Saturday night. When Verzuz had the uh, versus Verzuz, I I don't know how to pronounce it. When Versus, they had, yeah, when they had the rap battle between E40 and Too Short, because that is the music that I grew up on. I mean, E Shorty, E Shorty, I, I turned him into somebody. You, you, else. Made, you made him one. You made him one right there. I like that. Yeah, E40 and Too Short, they've been running the game in the Bay Area since the mid '80s. Like they even said, like. People around the country, they learned the game from us. And it's pretty clear that they're unorthodox rappers, but they are the souls of the Bay Area. In Chicago, 
it's very difficult for me to say who would be my versus rap battle because a lot of people want to default to Kanye first. But I just I can't associate I just have a problem including Kanye in anything at this point. So I'm gonna go off a little bit of a limb and say I would have Common versus Lupe Fiasco. I also just think that Chance the Rapper is a little bit too mainstream at this point. So I would go Common versus uh, versus Lupe. Two-part question for you, because I know you got roots in New Orleans. Who is your New Orleans rap battle, and who's your Atlanta rap battle? Mm, so for New Orleans, because I feel like I feel like Lil Wayne trumps all in New Orleans, so that would be a really hard one to do. But if I'm going to do one, I think I would do Master P versus Juvenile. Both staples in New Orleans, both have a heavy influence. You know, Master P and the uh and his crew. And then you have obviously Juvenile part of Hot Boys, which has so many New Orleans greats tied to them. I think that that would be a and they both had hits. They both have hits. They both have done it since the late 90s through the mid 2000s. And they really had a huge influence on that culture in New Orleans. So I would say Juvenile versus Master P. And in Atlanta, we've we've obviously had Jeezy versus T. Sorry, Jeezy versus Gucci, which is a huge, huge you know rivalry amongst themselves. But if we're going to go recent because outcast is there outcast is in a category of, of their own there's a lot of r&b singers they did uh, that's out of atlanta so i am going to say this is a very tough one i would love to see one i know gucci did jeezy i would love to see future versus gucci man i, I want to see gucci versus future as they're both huge influencers of trap music, which is big out of Atlanta. They both influence culture. They both have style, charisma. They both have their qualities that irk some people, but people just love and just have admiration for. So I would say Future versus Gucci Man will be a wonderful versus and give Gucci Man a chance to rebound as a lot of people think he lost to Young Jeezy in that versus battle, a chance to rebound against Future. All right, so I like where your logic is on this. And a couple of things that I do want to comment on. Why'd you leave Luda out? To me, just from my perspective, when I think Atlanta rap, I think of Ludacris. Now, Luda's not the same guy that he was back in the late 90s. But to me, I always feel like he's the ambassador of Atlanta rap. So uh, why not put Luda in there? I he just did not come to mind, which I feel bad about, because when you fly into Hartsfield, Hartsfield and you go up those escalators up to where you can meet and greet people who are he, he there to pick you up from the airport. There's a big picture of Luda there. So I do apologize for leaving Ludacris out. And I think that if you were to do a versus battle, I know T.I. was going to do G, but I, GZ, but I would love to see T.I. versus Ludacris. I think that would be a wonderful battle as well. There's just so many heavyweights out of the city of Atlanta that you kind of forget forget who is all from Atlanta. I know the people here who are, you know, born and bred here. They know who is the homegrown products here, but I know for me transplanting to Atlanta, you kind of forget because this is such a long list and it's one of the meccas of hip hop. And it's been a mecca of hip hop basically since the 
early 2000s that it just bred a lot of rappers, a lot of hip hop artists, R&B artists, R&B groups. I mean, Usher is heat out of Atlanta. So you can think about Usher going against someone else. There's so many people that you can put into this conversation in Atlanta. And Atlanta is the capital of culture, in my opinion, here in america so it's it's just so many so i apologize for leaving Ludacris out and i think Ludacris and ti would be a wonderful battle one final thing before i let you go staying on this versus battle did you watch the 40 in short battle and did you notice did you notice what was on two shorts warriors jersey because if you didn't i'm gonna point it out to you I'm going to need you to point it out to me. Unfortunately, when that battle was going on, I was in the middle of watching the Hawks play. So I was watching the Hawks play and trying to make sure I had my notes obviously ready to go for that next, for the next day I recorded. So I'm going to need you to refer, refer back to me on that. And I will go back and watch that versus battle as I do like too short and E40. I'm personally I'm an E40 fan. Ooh. Oh, I love I love the game, man. Slipping and sliding. Do that. Woo-wah, woo-wah. Yeah, E40. Yes, I know. I've actually been practicing an E40 impression for years. Uh, that was pretty good. That was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, he's, uh, he's the man. But Too Short was wearing a Warriors City Edition jersey for Oakland. It was like the old like Warriors jerseys that had the orange and the blue on them with a like, lightning font. You know, I remember, when they still had oh, the mascot. Yes. So, yes, I did see that. So Short... There was a silver Sharpie that there was some scribble on the jersey below the O in Oakland. And it said on it, to short, may the best bars win, signed by Steve Kerr. Mm, He got endorsed by Steve Kerr going into the versus battle. Yes. Well, he said, "May may the best bars win. See, okay. here's the here's the thing that I, I got a little bit of an issue with Steve Kerr's choice here because w- when you're watching a Warrior playoff game, who is the first guy that you see on court, E-40. front row? Yeah, exactly. So how why is he signing a jersey for short when it's 40 that's the guy that's at every game? Ooh, I, I, maybe try not to show favoritism. I mean, because you never know behind, you know, closed doors what kind of, you know, memorabilia E40 has gotten from the team, the special treatment from being there in the arena, especially at Oracle, you know, RIP Oracle. I love that arena. It's still and standing. It's still there. I just know that they're just not there anymore. They're in the chase center. They went to the, the money side of the Bay that I know a lot of people in Oakland feel some type of way about, but I think maybe, maybe, maybe that's the first thing that he's gotten from, from Steve Kerr and for the Warriors organization, especially since I don't know how many games Too Short has gone gone to, but we don't know like exactly, like I said, on the E40 side, what has all been given to E40 for his presence at Warriors games and obviously being close with that organization and those players. See, here's the funny thing about it, and I know that Bulls fans are going to be like, why are you talking about Bay Area hip-hop and the Warriors right now? Well, I I live in San Francisco. I live on, as Brad called it, the money side of the Bay. But I actually, I live I live in an area that is uh, almost not in San Francisco. It's on, like, the border between San Francisco and uh, Daly City. I actually live decently close to the old Candlestick Park where the 49ers used to play. The thing that's funny to me is that, like, Short is from Oakland. E-40 is not from Oakland. He's from Vallejo. 
Short's a Raider fan. E40's a Niner fan, which I never got that. E40 was a a Niner and a Giants fan. So, but anyways, uh, been fun talking basketball with you, Brad. Uh, I'm sure we're going to do this again next time before the Bulls and the Hawks square up. I When do they play each other after tomorrow night? I would have to go back and look. I do not know off the top of my head, so I do. Neither do I. I uh, I did not prepare that going into this uh, going into this recording. So I'm going sure to be, be hospitable on my end uh, for that matchup. You can come on on the Hoopball Hawks, and we can talk about the game. And uh, I know we didn't get to talk about it in this episode, but I really love a Bay rapper out there, Larry June, very underrated in the game. He's one of my favorite rappers and does does it big for the Bay. So maybe I can talk about a little bit of Larry June when you come on the uh, Hoopball Hawks. Ooh, I'd love that. I'd love that. And one and one Bay Area rapper that I left out, you know, RIP to him, 40 and short, they run the game, but it would not be where it is without Mac Dre. Uh, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. like Mac, yeah. Mac Dre had more cultural influence over Bay Area hip-hop culture really than 40 or short. Like those guys are a big part of it. But to me, it was Mac Dre. That was the love of the game. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. RIP, RIP Mac Dre. Brad, thanks again for coming on. You're listening to the hoop ball, Chicago bulls podcast. We're going to take a quick break and come back to wrap it up right after these messages. Before we say goodbye, we got to talk about a couple of things we got going on here at HoopBall. We need to pause the show for an announcement, and it's a fun one. It's free stuff. Everybody loves free stuff. What's the stuff? The Bruise Letter is back. Oh, yes, back and fresh for the 2020-21 NBA season. Our founder, Aaron Bruski, is writing an exclusive email newsletter filled with his most intimate fantasy nuggets. It's exclusive content you cannot find anywhere else either. It's not on the website, it's not in any podcast, it's not on social media, it's only in the email newsletter. And you can sign up to get it for free. Just go to bit.ly slash bruise letter 2021 and sign up in 10 seconds. Again, the site is bit.ly slash bruise letter 2021. Aaron Bruski, straight to your inbox. And all right, folks, here's the deal. Hoopball is a great website. We all love the content and we love that it exists, but Hoopball needs to keep the lights on. So for a few weeks every year, we sell stuff. This year, the best deal in fantasy is here at Hoopball, and it's called the Fantasy Pass. It's just $4.99 a month and gets you the entire draft guide, the Brewski 150, our DFS Pass, and all in-season fantasy tools. That's nuts! Just $4.99 for all of that stuff. Cook yourself dinner tonight or don't get that pumpkin spice latte. Instead, you can go and get the Fantasy Pass for six months. So please check it out. Head to hoop-ball.com and click on the Fantasy Pass ad just below the main media wall. And on that, folks, we're going to wrap it up. Should be a lot of fun this evening. We're going to have a great time talking Chicago Bulls basketball. Once this game is over, we'll have a morning after reaction to the Bulls and the Atlanta Hawks. Hopefully everybody's seeing red. Hopefully the Bulls will come out with a victory at the United Center against the boys from the ATL. Special thanks to Brad Harden for coming on the show. We had an absolute blast, especially talking some hip-hop from the Bay Area, from the ATL, and from New Orleans. I'm still not so sure about my rap battle choices, Common and Lupe. I just didn't feel like putting Kanye in there, and Chance the Rapper I didn't feel like putting in there either. But anyways, 
Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Hoopball Chicago Bulls podcast. Enjoy the game and go Bulls! This has been a Hoopball presentation.